0: Have you ever wondered how to make sense out of your messy life or how to live in peace in the middle of a stressful world? My name is Jamie Norton, and I want to welcome you to the Making Peace and Beyond podcast, where we talk about life struggles and how to live in the peace, joy, and freedom that Christ died to give us. Really excited today to have my good friend and colleague Rose Vincy, who is a life coach and who is probably one of the more active Making Peace and Beyond leaders around. So, Rose is uh, welcome and glad you're here.
1: And uh, thank you. It's exciting to be here. You know, I look up to you. You're not only a colleague and a mentor, but you're a dear friend. So, such a privilege. I shouldn't be nervous, but um. <laughs> it's exciting, it's exciting to do this together. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: And uh, Because you also have a web, private website, and you have a
1: ministry of your own, so I'd also like for you to mention that. Okay. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I've been a life coach for about 17 years now. and. The body of work has just kind of organically grown over time to include not just the thought work but then started to include the emotional work and then really started to include the spiritual work and the faith walk with christ overlaid and all of it and um i really got to recreate that in the wake of covid um you can find me at rosevincy.co and i create my own programs kind of like you jamie and When I took Making Peace for the first time, I was just blown away, blown away, Um, changed my life, freed me from so many things, allowed me to step into more truth than ever before. And I think a lot of times we do the work that we do because we're trying to learn it for ourselves, right? And then it becomes so good for us, we can't help but want to share it with the world and that's how i feel about making peace i think i came to you about a year ago and making peace and beyond (laughs) um, about a year ago saying jamie how do i how do i get this to everyone that i interact with like everyone needs this even if they don't know they need it and um let's let's just do this so yeah i have three making pieces going in person and a couple private making peace and beyonds going in person and are you know privately. We'll just say that again. Um, I have a few making pieces going, three groups and two privates. And it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to me um, to kind of carry on the legacy of what you have created. But it's, it's so great to watch the lights go on in other people's eyes as they get to do this work. It's such a privilege. It's a God thing.
0: It's it's definitely a God thing. I mean, God is God's ministry, and I was not feeling good for one of the last weekends, and I and I said, God, you know, you always show up. I mean, but this time you're just going to have to give me a little extra grace. And He has always been so faithful, and it was just down to the point. But it, it's like I always the only reason that I've ever been able to show up in some of this, and 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 is that I know He's already gone before us. You know, and that to me is just such a such a gift, and I'm so grateful to you for taking it forward and taking it beyond. Because we renamed it Making Peace and Beyond, just because it, I'm old now and it needs to go beyond me. And so the videos and the and the uh, podcasts and all are a way of sort of getting all the information out. So it's really great to have you here, and and it's really great to have you as a friend as well. Today um, we wanted to talk about. The illusion of control, because I think probably our meager attempts to control um, probably are the biggest source of our failure. It's the biggest source of our stress. It's the biggest source of our feelings of inadequacy because it's a lie. We we really tell people sometimes. If you want to see how much control we truly have, hold your breath for two minutes. The very thing that gives us life. We cannot hold for two minutes, and that's the extent of the control we truly have. And so, uh, we wanted to talk about control and then acceptance. You know that that as we really realize that that, that we are God breathed, we are not self breathed, <laughs> and so to be able to to really break that down some and and look at how you know the original. Uh, in the original fall, one of the there were four lies. You know that we couldn't trust God, that uh, that uh, we would not die, and that um, we could determine good and evil. But the the one that I think has given us even more trouble is that we could control the God, and that we could be God, and um, and so that has has uh, uh, been a source of of pain ever since. So I liked that you were talking about the death. Yep. Yeah. And you want to talk about that sure, a second.
1: Sure, sure. I was driving here today and I was thinking, well, first of all, I should back up for a second. I was I was telling you guys that I redid my Instagram bio and I was going to make the tagline recovering control freak because I'm <laughs> you know, I'm certainly a recovering control freak and I was imagining in the drive over the ways that I explain control and sometimes it's white knuckling, you know, or holding on with that death grip. Like if oh my gosh, if I let go, I'm going to die. I'm going to I'm going to fall into the abyss. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, the death grip we think is protecting us from the fall, but it's actually that grip that's killing us. And, you know, that fall is important and it's not, you know, falling off a cliff <laughs> into nowhere. It's it's falling upward toward God or actually even taking that leap of faith. But it's so counterintuitive to our human experience, especially, you know, I spent so much time in the business world. We do, we do, we do, we do. We don't be, you know, we just do. And we we start thinking we're, we're the masters of our own universe and we're in control of everything. And if I just do more and I push the rock uphill and I do the next thing, it's all going to work out, but it's just all this illusion. And I think most of us actually learn that that illusion isn't worth keeping when we actually face some sort of challenge. Would you say that like in your work that most exactly. people learn it when they're it's, they're in a pinch position, they're at a crossroad and it's really difficult?
0: It's it's
1: you know the you
0: know what we try to control, when we try to control what we cannot control, it starts to control us. So whatever it is we're trying to control will ultimately become our preoccupation. So in the work world, when people are trying to Work harder uh, to to, and and that's what we do. You know, the more out of control it feels, the more we try to control it. But I think, and and if we try to be in a relationship where we're trying to make somebody be who we wish they were, which we cannot do, then we become preoccupied with their behavior and and fixing their behavior, and ultimately that becomes our source, our God, you know. And so our control actually takes us into are uh, false gods and but i think that that illusion of control is is fostered when we especially if you grow in a family that is out of control where there's chaos where there's unpredictability and children will try to figure out a way to survive in a, in that kind of situation and they'll develop a survival fantasy that they believe will control their world and let them be accepted and keep them from getting hurt and so they they end up uh, spending a lot of time trying to make that happen, trying to be that person and 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 we become a human doing, a human performing, a human acting. Um, as women in my history used to say before they went out of the house, I have to put on my face." and we we end up putting on our face and being that human doing, as you said, rather than a human being. and And I think that is, you know the greatest thing that can ever happen to us is when we, our fantasy, our, our survival fantasy, runs into a wall and, <laughs> and doesn't work. Because yeah. then we have to do something different. So if you want to,
1: yeah, God talk bless about me. your adventure. Yeah, your, for sure, mine happened on my wedding day. Like my poor <laughs> husband, what a saint! Um, we couldn't get married on our wedding day because my first like collision with you know this illusion of control wasn't going to work anymore and this house of, house of cards started to fall it was on our wedding day i had a, i had my first you know panic attack and you know i probably always had anxiety before that and <coughs> didn't know it so how naive i was when i when i heard those words like panic or anxiety i always thought that that just meant people were stressed out cuz there was a lot going on i didn't realize there was actually like physical, outward experiences that happened, you know, from control, from fear and all of that. And I would say that I think for me, Mm -hmm. it did start kind of out of what you mentioned, like in uh, parts of my childhood that were out of control, that I remember being a little girl thinking, well, if I just perform and show up well and keep my mouth shut and stay in my lane and Everything will get better. Everything will, I won't, don't create any distractions like, and it didn't end there. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about boundaries today because I got my boundaries way out of whack that I thought, you know, I could fix my parents or I could fix my sisters and my parents' relationships. And, and I'm sure lots of us, you know, grow up thinking that we have that illusion of control, but man, is it a lonely place and it's an exhausting place you think you're holding the weight of the world on your shoulders. And then on my wedding day, um, it actually came out as a physical manifestation as a panic attack. And I had two doctors in my wedding. (laughs) one's an Ivy League doctor and they're coming to my room. I'm literally like, it's time to put the dress on and go. And Chuck and I, my husband and I are in separate rooms, getting ready in a Mexican um, resort. And the doctors get there first. the the resort doctors. And then my doctor friends show up and everybody's in agreement, Rose is having a panic attack. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, I'm dying. I, you know, I'm going to stop breathing. I'm having a heart attack. And they're like, no, well, I couldn't get married that day. You know, my, my family's running around the resort, trying to get the resort to move it. And thankfully we were at a resort and they could move it. Um, But it was my first awakening with, what the heck just happened? And don't get me wrong, I was trying to control a lot of things. Nobody was helping me plan my wedding, where everybody was supposed to be, um, how everybody was supposed to show up. I was masterminding all that. And then all the family dynamics and the energy and the excitement of getting married and like, whoa. And so... When I came back from that, and I often think this is what saved my marriage, and not that it was failing at the time, but I don't know that it could have survived. Control Freak Rose. Um, Because, you know, who wants to be married to a control freak? You know, at some point, I think my husband would have said, "Um, What is wrong with you? So when I came home, I was like, Ooh, I don't want that to happen again. What was that?
0: That it, sounds like a God-given panic attack. Actually, because yeah, it really. You're right. Who wants to be re- married to a control freak? So yeah. to be able to to have a, a stoppage, to be able to run into something that you you couldn't control your physical response all of a sudden you said i'm not in control anymore yeah. you know and that didn't Ooh. that was just once but yeah. it's 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 always an issue to say because we take it back we say god i'm going to give it to you you're in control i'm not but then we take it back we take yeah. it back because we want the world to operate according to us we have an image of how it should be could be would be if only and we try to make that happen and we miss our life trying to get to if only land because if only land doesn't Doesn't really exist exist, all we have is right here right now and a god who loves us very much and uh so but you mentioned boundaries and i I think part of what i see is that we have an illusion part of the illusion of control is that i i have charge of my boundaries and that is also that is true but it is not complete because there's two kinds of boundaries we have god-given boundaries And we have choice boundaries. And where we get into trouble with the illusion of control is that we don't recognize our God-given boundaries. Most of the trouble that people get into is that they want to be more than human. We want to uh, be able to... uh, have more time. We put more on our plate than we could possibly do in a twenty four seven. we We want to be in multiple places at one time. We want to uh, change somebody else's life. We want to manage things that are way beyond our control. and and that's where that stress comes in. God did give us choice. He did give us, some control, and we, it's an interactive process with him. We have to accept our God-given boundaries, and then we can choose within those God-given boundaries. We cannot get more than 24-7. Equal Time is an equal opportunity employer, but we can choose how we spend that time. We can't be more than one place at one time, or we can't uh, change another person's life, but we can choose how much time we spend with them. We can choose where we spend our time. And, you know, we can't grow younger, but we can embrace growing older. So it's like to have that idea that, wait a minute, I have to operate within being a human being. I cannot operate beyond that. So when we talk about giving up control, we're not giving up choice. We're saying, I'm accepting that I'm a limited human being, and I'm choosing to operate within the confines of that but those choices are mine and the trajectory of my life is going to depend not on my external circumstances but my the trajectory of my life is going to depend on how i choose to use those god given blessings you know that i can direct i can direct some of that i can't choose what happens to me but i can choose my response to what happens to me and you know and i think you know, you know your, your situation with Glory was a, was a time of really um, really looking at, I can't change what's happened, but I can choose how I respond to it. And you did such a good job of that. I'd like for you to share a little bit about that. Sure. Um,
1: thanks for sharing all of that because what you're talking about with control and, and all those realities and those boundaries, I didn't know. Right, And when I learned it after having my first panic attack and I went and got to talk to somebody about it, they're like, you, you had to stop doing that. I didn't even know that that was wrong. I didn't even know there was another way. And that became a body of work for you know, a long time because it's, it's a different walk. It's a different walk than what I had grown up in. And so I'm glad I started it because what you're talking about is getting to the point with a part of my story with my daughter, Glory, And um, I was pregnant with Glory, and I was in my second trimester, and they told me that she had a fatal diagnosis. And in that fatal diagnosis day, the day that they gave me that news, I thought, they got to be wrong. They've got to be wrong. And I'm going to do research. I'm going to prove them wrong. And you know, here I go, turning back on that <laughs> controlling self. I can, this is my child, too, right? The one thing we do want to control, our children. And um, it's just an illusion. So we called one of our mentors at the time. <clears throat> her name was Pastor Faye. And my husband and I called her. And she said, um, I have a word for you. We told her the diagnosis. We've told no one else. We're like, what do we do with this information? This is fate. Like, what do you mean? And and I should back up for a second. What that really meant was she had um, a diagnosis in the family of spina bifida, which means she had a hole left in her spinal cord zip up in development, but it was going to be left near the top of her head, which was going to expose her brain to the amniotic fluid. So she was going to grow ideally perfectly inside of me, but- she wasn't going to be able to live after she was born. And if she did, it might be seconds or minutes or hours was kind of what we were given. And that's when we called Pastor Faye. So anyway, we called her and she said, um, we're thinking she's going to tell us it's a miracle. Don't worry about it. And she says instead, thy will be done. You know, And we're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what do you want me to do with that? So we did. You know, Chuck and I kind of said, well, she said it. We trust her. We know that's what God has to say about this. We'll let him have control. And ironically, it was probably the first time in my life I ever really fully let go of control. I think up until then, even knowing what I was learning, I was kind of one foot in, one foot out. I'd take it back. I'd give it to God. This was was the first time we full-on surrendered.
0: And so you— did decided
1: it. to carry to term, yes, and
0: then she was born and she lived five minutes.
1: Nope, she actually um passed during full term delivery, okay and um, became the first neonatal organ donor at the Cleveland Clinic. So she has her own little legacy story. I certainly didn't carry her for that reason. um but you know that's her her legacy, but she she's a great me. legacy. I mean, it is it
0: really is. I mean, there's not a better way of dealing with it than to give life to others, yeah.
1: And I didn't need her to do that, but she certainly changed me. And, and I think that's what you're alluding to. So in this one moment that I had let go of control, and it wasn't a moment. It was a moment by moment. It wasn't like mm-hmm. Pastor Faye said, I will be done. Chuck and I said, okay, <laughs> yes. And then like it was all great. And it was like rainbows and sunshine and butterflies. It was still day by day, like keeping in that let it go mindset. And mm-hmm. um, But what came out of it was things that were so beyond human understanding. And for me, the ones that came to mind over and over and over again during that time was love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. How I was having love when my heart was broken, how I was having joy when my life was so sad, and how I was having peace when my life was turned upside down. But I was. And I thought, this life coach in me, when I figure out what the heck is happening right now, how am I having these extraordinary things? I'm just ordinary. I'm going to tell the whole world, which is how I ended up doing some of my writing and speaking that was born out of my my coaching work, thanks to this experience with Glory. And I think I did figure it out later. you can read about it in my story in The Rising Sisterhood. Um, but I talk about it often. It was the one thing I had never done before that allowed love, joy, and peace to come in. It was the surrender. It was the letting go. And if I, if I can give an analogy of that, it's the, back to the death grip. You know, I would do life with the death grip. And then with glory, I had to let go. So my hands were open to receive. And when we look at love, joy, and peace in Scripture, those are the fruits of the Spirit. And they're gifts that only God can give. I can't create them. And so with my hands open, I could receive these gifts. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty. That's the replicatable process that in this control and surrender. And the whole reason we even talk about it is because we now know, you and I know, and we want lots of people to know that when you do this, there's something beautiful on the other side. And it transcends yeah. our situations and yeah. our circumstances.
0: It does. And 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 it's it's you know, that will be done is is. The prayer that never fails. I, I do believe that every person has to have their own uh, garden of Gethsemane every when Jesus went to the garden, he, he knew he was headed for the most painful uh, thing a person could go through. and yet and he was he's wanting something different and he begged. I mean, he didn't give up control completely, you know, I mean, initially he's he's wanting to bargain with it. He's like, can we do something else? but Ultimately, he said, "Thou will not mind be done. Thou will not mind be done." And in that moment, he became peaceful. and And I think it's 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 it is the replicable thing because we have to go to that dark night of the soul where nobody else is out there, where nothing is, it, where it's totally dark. And in that place, we have a choice to surrender or to go out with our fists swinging. You know, and and uh, When we get to Thy will be done, we open our hearts to the fruit of the Spirit. We open our hearts to knowing that we're not alone, that there's nothing that we're going to go through that is, that God's not going to be with us. And I like to say, you know, one of the things about giving up control that I think is so hard is that people uh, cannot give up control until we know someone is in control, and that is the... Until we really know there's something bigger than me that is with me, there's something bigger than me that is in charge. And, and I tell people sometimes if you, if you cut your leg, you don't know about the cut until about four seconds later, because it takes about four seconds to to sort of figure out that you know something's going on and to become aware of it. And you know, my awareness of the cut does not create the cut. My awareness of the cut allows me to deal with the cut. But I have to accept that it's there before I can even deal with it. So I can become aware of truth, but I have to accept the truth before I can really operate within it. And that's what, you know, that's what, because God goes before us. And when when you know that, then you have peace, you have joy, you have the the fruit of the spirits available to you. And that's what we're to do is to distribute those to others, we try to, you know, before that time, we try to get those. We try to create them ourselves. We try to get them from others. You know, I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to, I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take something to make me peaceful. You know, yeah. I'm going to do all that kind of stuff. But once we, we realize that that is, that all it takes is for me to acknowledge that I'm not in control. I am not in control, and that somebody is. My daughter says there's two pillars that she depends on completely for her life. One is God is sovereign, and the other is God lo- God is good. God is sovereign, and God is good. I have to add to that because because I feel so unlovable because I'm such an idiot sometimes. That, but I have to add to that God loves me. God is good. God is sovereign. And God loves me. You know, And when I can remember that, which is... I forget frequently, but when I can remember that, then then life is peaceful and life is full, and I I can be the kid playing on the beach because my my Abba loves me. You know, I love the story of Brennan Manning's book Abba's Child. Well he talks about going to the beach with his grandfather, and his grandfather all of a sudden starts to uh, dance around on the beach, and he says, "You know what are you doing?" <laughs> and, and the grandfather says, "Miaba loves me. Miaba loves me." And I think that when we really surrender into God's arms and to God's love, we can dance around on the beach and say, "Miaba loves me. Miaba loves me," because my daddy loves me. And, and that, is, that is such a blessing and such a gift that you do want everybody to dance, too. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when people see us living above our circumstances and that we've done something different, I, I think they're drawn to it. They're attracted to it. They want to understand it. I think even when we were going through everything with glory, um, they, they would have understood if I was a, a puddle of tears on the ground completely debilitated but I was walking around with this, these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, because I had surrendered. And everybody's like, how are you doing this? And, and you can literally say, it is not of me. It is through me. And you get to shine God's light when we do this. However, I often would think about you know, replicatable processes. Mm-hmm. How, how did I even end up relinquishing control in that moment? And you, you've pointed out both of them. One was, I didn't have a choice. It wasn't like I'm some surgeon that's going to reach in my stomach and you know <laughs> fix glory or undo a, a fatal diagnosis. I, I had my back was against the wall. The dark night of the soul. And the second was, I did develop that relationship, that trusting relationship with my father. And, you know, had this incident with Glory happened even a few years earlier, I might not have known that. But developing that relationship of whose I am and who I am, and that I have a father I can trust and love, did really create that process that when Pastor Faye said, let it go. I'm like, I do know him. He does love me. I do trust him beyond me. And I remember a time when I didn't know and feel that. And so what a blessing to journey in Christ, in the Word, to figure out how loved I am. So that when that moment came, I had another option besides the death grip, which was literally going to kill me. I mean, I I probably would have been sick spiritually, mentally, physically if i was going to try to change the outcome that i couldn't change
0: yeah yeah and you would have never never been able to experience the good things that have happened since then i mean because life happens and i think we live under the illusion that we know good and bad and and you would never say oh gee i'm so glad that glory didn't make it but what you can say is that god has used what Satan intended for evil for for bad for good yeah and so and you've used that and you've reached others and you've helped others to see oh oh, wow you know this this is not the end of the story you know this is i mean this is just the middle of the story and we are part of a story that has a great ending you know and you know we get a choice of what part we want to write in our story you know and and i think that is the you know that is the gift of it all that um you know, once we realize that we are a part of a of a great throng of people, you know, it is it at a at a a lot of history and just a part of an ongoing story that is has got both good and evil in it. That God is good. You know, somebody said that. The cross that Jesus is totally vulnerable on the cross I mean we're the ones who put the loincloth on him <laughs> you know but I mean when you were crucified you were you were totally exposed you were totally vulnerable and you were totally you were mm-hmm. totally uh, mm-hmm. you it was a total picture of what what we do to ourselves and others and then but it's not the end of the story I mean you know the end it, the the next thing is 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 life and life abundant but I think having to be totally vulnerable to be able to receive that total life is what we're talking about
1: it is it is it's so much about vulnerability and it makes me think of so many things you know being vulnerable we really do get a, a great exchange we get beauty for our ashes you know if we give him all the burned up stuff and and he returns it with beauty uh, but that's the work of making peace and beyond as well is, is vulnerability. I mean, one of the first things we do is having people step into their truth and acknowledge it in front of God. And I think I even asked you one time, like, wow, we hear all these stories. We hear all these stories of pain. And and you had um, the most perfect thing to say. I don't know if you'll remember what it was, and I'll ad-lib it. We'll you can try and I repeat say. it. But it was something <laughs> about like that pain might be the best part of their story. It might be the point where it changed at all. Like, we look at this pain, like, I want to fight it. I want to stuff it down. I want to walk around it. I want to walk over it. I want to walk under it. It's this walking through it that really is where the work is. And, and that's what making peace and beyond is. That's what you've done for me. That's what I love doing with other people in, in my business as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's- so that's how cool our God is. <laughs> you know it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't not make sense in the sense. human sense but it doesn't God's kingdom it's
0: paradoxical i mean we yeah. gain we gain strength by acknowledging our weakness and you know that's why paul says i'm you know when i'm weak you are strong because when we when we really accept that we're not in control it gives us a strength we don't even understand you know and i think that is you know that is amazing and and i love watching people take the courage to step out of their com- comfort Zone. I mean, it's, it's like my granddaughter told told me once. She was ten. I took her to Costa Rica to see her sister, and and she said um, she wanted to go on the zip lines. And I said, I, I, I'm really not. I'm scared to death of heights. I don't like heights. And and Anna Anna was like, uh, there were twelve trees. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness to me, it wasn't just one tree or two trees. It was yeah. twelve trees. Yeah. And when you got in the trees, you couldn't get down. And and Anna said, you know. I said, Anna, that's just way out of my comfort zone. And Anna looked at me and she said, Ma, I just know you'd be so much more comfortable outside of your comfort zone. Mm. And I find over and over again our, our uncomfortable comfort zone is often chosen because it gives us that illusion of control. As long as I stay in what I know... You know, as long as I, you know, somebody gave me a coffee cup the other day that said, "The comfort zone. It might be really pretty, but it nothing grows there." Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 you know, to to have the courage to step into the unknown it means I have to have courage, and that something's bigger than me. And often I need somebody leading me. I need somebody helping me to know that there is hope you know because and that's one of the things that I think recovery programs do a very good job of is is people come into uh, the rooms of recovery feeling like there is no hope for me I'm at the end I have nothing and they walk in and they see people who have been where they are that are not there anymore that have moved on that have grown they walk into church and they say and they hear the stories at at baptism and in small groups you know I was lost, but now I'm found. I was lost, but now I'm found. And that's the story of all of us. We were lost, but now we're found. And to be able to really look, look at that and to, to have those examples, you know, to just, uh, for me, it's, it's like, that has always been such a, God has brought people into my life and to give me hope to show me the way to show me that it's not over because that's how he He works with us is in community, and I just continue to stress how important it is for us to step into community to to have the courage to go out. I, I tell people sometimes that God let me commit every sin there is to commit. So everybody else could feel comfortable with theirs. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And and that's what I... So every week at Beg and Peas, I throw myself under the bus, you know, because, because it's, you know, and it's not that I'm really happy about those things that I did or that they were good things to do, but God has used them. And he has showed me that there's nothing that I can do that is beyond his grace. And I think that is, that is such an incredible gift. And the freedom that, that Christ died to give us, we totally underestimate. You know? But it's not available to us as long as I'm going to be my own God, as long as I'm going to be the one who's in control. And, and so I have to go through that process of, of becoming a mere human. And not trying to be more than human, you know. In in order for that to happen, absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the things about I love the Serenity Prayer. I love the Serenity Prayer lifestyle. I try. I I I try to ask myself right away. You know, is can I change this right now? Because if I can't change it right now, I have to accept it right now. And I'd like to kind of. I thank you so much for being here, and I've, I've just. But I wanted to sort of, sort of, sort of bring us a little bit toward the close to to just read out the whole serenity prayer because it's such a great lifestyle. It is. It says, "God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference." Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next.
1: I just love that prayer. Oh, me too. I, I would teach it to people in the secular business world and I'd read it to them and and I'd say, you know, the first line, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And I would say, you know, serenity is your peace. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about making peace and beyond. And that's what serenity is. And I, I like to read it in reverse because that's my quirky little nerdy brain. And say, if you don't accept the things that you cannot change you will not have peace. And so many times we think that this letting go process means I'm giving up and waving the white flag. No, you're still gonna march forward. You're still gonna have the next step and the next step. But if you want peace in it, you need to accept what's yours and what's not yours.
0: That's why when something happens, I first ask myself, (laughs) can I change it right now? I might visit it again next week, but I can't change it right now. So I have to accept it right now. And that leaves you in a chronic state of peace. I tell people keep your head and your body in the same place, you know, because that's where peace is.
1: And one of my favorite lines is, you know, when Jesus said, you know, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. This is a peace that supersedes, I have goosebumps, Holy Spirit goosebumps, supersedes what we can understand in the human sense. It is so good, it's so worth doing the work. He died to give it to us.
0: He did indeed. It came for
1: a price. So take it.
0: (laughs) I thank you so much for being here today, Rose. It's just always delightful to be with you and to talk about these things. And for those of you who are listening, I really uh, pray that you may have gotten something useful out of what we talked about today and that you would uh, join us again uh, for other podcasts. And um, if you're interested in knowing more, uh, we do have a website, makingpeaceandbeyond.com. Uh, where there are videos and, and workbooks. And then we have uh, a presence on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and we're All just everywhere yes. <laughs> and, and the Making Peace and beyond. And uh, so we're just uh, glad to have some time with you and just pray that you're, you will have a great day and, and a life of peace and joy and love. Amen.